This morning's reading comes from 1 Peter, chapter 3, verses 8 to 12. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Thanks, Tom, uh, for doing the Bible reading. Thanks, Michael, for leading us through our service so far. And good morning, Riverbank. Uh, As we begin today, I want to share something with you that I've observed about myself and perhaps you've noticed in yourself too. I've noticed that in life, I often think that the way I do things is the normal way. My routine, my habits, my lifestyle are the normal, natural and correct ways that people live. But throughout life, I've also realised that perhaps my ways aren't always normal. Maybe at a sleepover when I was young, or when I moved into a share house, or when I travelled internationally, I come to realise that maybe my ways aren't the norm, and in fact, maybe they're the odd ways at times. For, for instance, in Tasmania, uh, when we talk about football, what are we talking about? AFL. But when I moved to Brisbane, whenever we talked about football, it was assumed that we were talking about rugby. Yet when I was in America, football was gridiron. And I'm sure if in, you were in Europe, it would be soccer. So, are we the old ones? Or with the normal ones? Who's correct? Now, now this is only a minor example, and most people often argue that they are the normal ones. But I wonder if you've ever thought about your life as a Christian. Are the majority of your routines, habits, and lifestyle considered normal? Or are we, in fact, the odd ones? Over the past few weeks, as we've been looking through 1 Peter, we've been challenged to consider how Christians, uh, as Christians, as wives, as husbands, how are we supposed to conduct ourselves? And the week prior, we looked at, as Christians, how are we supposed to respond to authority? And as we continue our series this morning, we're going to explore how Christians are supposed to act toward one another, and toward our enemies. And to help us do this, we're going to look at three things. Firstly, what it means to bless one another. Secondly, what it means to bless our enemies. And thirdly, what it means to inherit a blessing. And as we look at these three things, I want you to consider, are we being called to be the normal ones that fit in or the odd ones that stand out. So, firstly, 
Let's look at what it means to bless one another. Peter begins in verse 8 with a series of five verbs used to describe how Christians should interact with one another. It's a list of how we can bless one another as a church. But as we explore this list, there is something helpful that I want us to acknowledge from the outset. That is, that the church is not perfect. If it was, Peter wouldn't have needed to write this list. But the scattered Christians Peter writes to and Riverbank Christian Church are not perfect churches. In reality, there's not one perfect Christian among us. We are a collection of messy, broken, damaged individuals who all bring our extra baggage each week to church. That's our common denominator, that we are all sinners. And so if you've ever felt burdened by trying to purvey a perfect facade each week as a Christian, if it's tiring to hide your struggles with pride, greed or self-esteem, your imperfections as a parent, your insecurities regarding the future, your inabilities and your weaknesses, let's not pretend that these shortcomings don't exist. Instead, can I encourage us to be open and honest about these things? Peter shares this very list using words that describe a family because he understands that every church is a family of imperfect people who need mending, who need comforting, who need restoring. And Peter anticipates that the church will be blessed if Christians can demonstrate these family-like traits. So firstly, let's have a look at them. He says, all of you, that is, as a community, as a church, as a family, not as individuals, all of you be like-minded. And this word like-minded is talking about having unity in the spirit. It's about us sharing and focusing on our common belief and mission. Instead of us being distracted, what I might call our, our preferences, our preferred worship style, preferred way that the church should spend our money, preferred political views, even our preferred seat to sit in. Alternatively, Peter urges Christians to be like-minded in our aim. Because we're all on the same team. Which is partly why we have a Vision 2030, isn't it? To help unite the work we do together. Secondly, he says, all of you be sympathetic. This is a call to come alongside one another. And to seek to understand one another. Understand one another's struggles, sorrows and hurts but also our, our passions, our delights, our joys. Being sympathetic comes from taking time to get to know one another, listening to one another, being patient with one another. It's a family caring for all its members and not neglecting any. Thirdly, all of you love one another. This could easily be translated as brotherly. Sisterly, family, love. We are one at Riverbank. 
If one brother is suffering, we're all suffering. If one sister is rejoicing, we all rejoice with her. As a family, we love one another deeply and sincerely. Now, fourthly, all of you be compassionate. This involves having a a tender heart towards one another, where we offer the gentle words of Jesus instead of empty words and careless comments. It's where we are slow to anger and quick to show grace and forgiveness. And finally, he says, all of you be humble. In our independent society where selfishness and pride saturate our lives, the church is called to oppose this trend and be lowly and humble towards one another. This is the same word Jesus used to describe his own heart, which we looked at when we uh, focused on our gentle and lowly series last year. We are to regard ourselves as lowly and seek the interests of our brother and sister above our own. And I believe that unless we possess this trait of humility, none of the previous four traits of being like-minded, sympathetic, loving and compassionate, will be effective. But if each of these five qualities not only are evident, but permeate our church, then I ask you, is this the type of community, of church, of family that you would like to belong to? This is certainly the type of church I want to belong to. Where I can joyfully serve alongside my brothers and sisters, striving for the same goal. Where I can reveal my struggles with sin and be greeted with gentle understanding. Where I can share my sorrow and be welcomed with a warm embrace. Where I can express my joy and be met with encouragement. Where I can fail and be spurred on. Where I can be tremendously blessed. Brothers and sisters, if we want to taste and see the full richness that the gospel offers, then we must not just believe in our heads, but demonstrate with our lives that Jesus has transformed the way we interact with one another. Our mission as a church is to be a people who love God, love the community, and love the church. And if we want to love the church, then we should be asking ourselves, This question, do these traits describe the type of family member I am? And if they do, can I say a massive thank you? Thank you so much. You are a blessing to me and you are a huge blessing to those around you. And for the rest of us, let's be encouraged by these great role models in the church and seek to learn from them and model what it means to love the church. Brothers and sisters, the way Christians are called to bless one another is unique. And it's not the normal in our society. And it's unique because every time someone displays one of these qualities, they are displaying a glimpse of the heart of Jesus, the heart of the gospel. And what other community displays the unique heart of Jesus except his church? That is what it means to bless one another. 
by being like-minded, sympathetic, loving, compassionate, and humble, just like Jesus. But now, secondly, let's look at what it means to bless our enemies. And when I refer to enemies here, I'm talking particularly about those who might insult, mock, act evilly, or exclude you for being a Christian. But it also could include people, family, friends, neighbours, others, who for no apparent reason are just nasty, annoying, or frustrating. And so in verse 9... Peter says this, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with a blessing. Wow, you might be thinking to yourself, repay evil with a blessing? You know, I was on board, Jed, with the whole blessing one another thing. That sounded good. But to respond to our enemies with a blessing... That's where I might draw the line. That's a bit of a stretch for me. I hear you. I hear you because this contradicts the normal storyline of our culture, doesn't it? Which says you have every right to defend your reputation, which says it is fair game to retaliate in the same manner you've been attacked. But verse 9 also says, To this you were called part of the unique and odd way for Christians to live is to repay evil with a blessing. And Peter identifies two types of Christians who are likely to make the opposite mistakes. Firstly, there are those who are more likely to retaliate, to to react and to defend themselves when they are insulted or faced with evil. And I know personally, I have this tendency I struggle to hold my tongue during a ball game when someone makes a baited comment at me, let alone when someone might say either personally towards me or or just in the news that our views are bigotry, dangerous and unloving. But in verse 10, we are told to keep our tongues from evil and our lips from deceitful speech. But then the the second person, there are also those who are more likely to remain silent, to, to avoid conflict altogether and to hide their views. But God isn't calling us towards this approach either. Verse 11 continues by saying that we must turn from evil and do good, that we must seek peace and pursue it. Doing good and pursuing peace are active commands. They are not passive. But what does this actually look like in practice for us? To hold our tongues, yet not remain silent. To actively pursue peace, yet not retaliate. Well, to help us, I'm going to share a story. It's a story I read this week about a Christian soldier. He was living in an army barracks with his unit. Uh, And each evening when he would read the Bible and pray before retiring for the night, he, he was reviled and often insulted by the soldier across the aisle. One night it even resulted in a pair of muddy combat boots being thrown at him from across the room. 
Yet the next morning, this hostile soldier found his boots, returned to the foot of his bed, cleaned, polished, and ready for inspection. This is what it looked like for the soldier to repay evil with a blessing. And because of his witness, several of his fellow company became Christians as a result. Isn't this a great example of what we've been looking at the last two, three weeks? Living such a good life that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. Brothers and sisters, souls are not won through winning arguments or by avoiding conflict. They are won by actively pursuing peace. They are won when people see a glimpse of the bold gentleness and the courageous grace of Jesus in our lives. The bold gentleness Jesus displayed when he was arrested. And Peter responded the way that many of us would, by retaliating and taking justice into his own hands when he cut off the ear of his enemy. But not Jesus. He responded by gently hearing, healing the centurion's ear. Or the courageous grace Jesus displayed whilst being crucified for the very sins of those who mocked and insulted him when they said, if you really are the Messiah, save yourself. But Jesus responds with grace by calling out to God, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. I think this is so significant here. Jesus responds to evil by not acting on his rights or using his power, but by displaying his inmost qualities of grace, gentleness, and love. Isn't this the core of the gospel that we have received? That whilst we were God's enemies, he chose not to retaliate or avoid us, but bless us in the most incredible way, by dying the death we deserve. In a world full of fighting and retaliating, forgiveness and grace are the rare commodity that pierce our society's armour. In a world that feels like it's getting darker, doesn't this odd light of a Christian shine all the brighter? But if we are to respond to evil with this type of blessing, it is incredibly vital that we see people how Jesus sees them. Not as an enemy, in fact, but as a lost and broken child of God. For example, the soldier who did not retaliate, he saw his agitator not as an enemy, but rather he had compassion on him. Because although his agitator may demonstrate bravado and confidence, the soldier knows that he was a lost and child, lost and broken child of God. Brothers and sisters, part of our mission at Riverbank is to love our community. And the love we are called to display as we repay evil with a blessing is unique. It's going to be odd. 
but our community needs Jesus. And we are called to bless our community by showing them a glimpse of Jesus as we repay evil with a blessing. And I don't have the answer for how we should respond to each situation because each situation, each person is going to be different. So we're going to need to help one another with this and help one another grow in our compassion so that we are seeing people as God sees them. But what is certain is that our every word needs to be saturated with the bold gentleness of Christ and our every action drenched in the courageous grace of Christ because in our every response, it should be our hope that each person encounters a glimpse of Jesus, just as the soldier displayed. So, we've looked at what it means uh, for Christians to bless one another, and we've looked at what it means for Christians to bless our enemies. And we've seen why this is worthwhile, because we are giving people a glimpse of Jesus. When we do this. But Peter also provides another reason for why this is worthwhile. Peter says at the end of verse 9, We are called to live this way so that we may inherit a blessing. Peter is claiming that not only are we blessing others, but we're also blessing ourselves when we act in this manner. And so before I talk about what this blessing is, I want you to observe that this blessing isn't earned. Notice how it says, so that you may inherit, not earn, a blessing. This is not your local cash converters where you can exchange a good deed for a blessing. This blessing is inherited, which is crucial because inheritance cannot be earned. It is rightfully ours to obtain. So, what is this blessing that we inherit? Well, firstly, let me tell you what it's not. In our Western society, when we talk about blessings, we are often talking about prosperity. For instance, we might say we're blessed if we receive a promotion, or if we get a new car, or or, or if we're free from struggles, or if we have food on the table. Blessed often equates to comfortable prosperous life and these things can be wonderful can't they but god often talks about blessings in a different light in fact throughout the whole new testament blessings never refer to material prosperity or comfortable circumstances typically in fact it refers to the opposite of poverty and trial for example jesus sermon on the mount in matthew 5 He says, blessed are the poor, those who mourn, the meek, the hungry, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, and those who are persecuted. So, what is a blessing? One author writes, a blessing is anything God gives that makes us fully satisfied in him. Anything that draws us closer to Jesus. Anything that helps us relinquish the temporal and hold on to more tightly to the eternal. 
We are blessed when we choose to bless one another and to, when we choose to bless our enemies because we are choosing to be satisfied by God, not comforts. We are choosing to draw closer to Jesus, not prosperity. We are choosing to relinquish the temporal and hold more tightly to the eternal. We are choosing to live out our identity and worth in Jesus, not humans. An identity which declares that our value is determined completely and solely by a supreme God who created us in his image, who redeemed us from the grave and who loves us unconditionally. Whereas when we choose to repay evil with evil, we choose to live under our old identity, an identity which is fragile when we retaliate, which is insecure when we stay silent. It's an identity that is still enslaved to human approval and opinion. And by doing so, we are rejecting the truth that God determines our worth. Therefore, the Christian's choice in how to respond to others in every situation is a choice whether to be blessed by God as we live out our identity under Him or it's a choice to reject His blessing and continue the struggle for human approval. Just like our soldier, he understands that he is blessed when he chooses not to retaliate but instead live out his identity as a child of God. Which is why Peter, uh, to help ground his entire argument in verses 10 and 12, quotes from Psalm 34. A psalm that was written when David was being shamed, insulted and facing unjust evil. Although David had been anointed by Samuel as the king of Israel, he was nevertheless forced to flee, to run from jealous King Saul, who sought to take his life. Yet quite remarkably, how did David respond? He's had two opportunities to retaliate and take Saul's life while he's on the run. But instead, David chose to respond to evil with a blessing. He chose to live out his identity in God and spare Saul's life. That is why in verse 10 of our passage, we see uh, that whoever would love life and see good days, in other words, whoever would choose to be blessed, this person, they must keep their tongue from evil and they must seek, they must seek peace and pursue it. David is urging his audience, and Peter is too, that choosing to place your hope and identity in God is the greatest blessing. And then in verse 12 it says that the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. The Lord's watching eyes that often allude to his protection and guidance. And additionally it says his ears are attentive to their prayers. His ears, which often allude to his comfort and care. Whilst on the contrary, it says, The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. 
His face which displays his glory, power and judgment. Peter's logic is that just as God protected and comforted David from his enemies, so he will guide and care for the scattered Christians he writes to from their enemies. And Riverbank, the same promise stands for us today. That God will bless those who submit to him, who stand firm in their faith through all circumstances. Brothers and sisters, part of our mission at Riverbank is to love God. And at the core of loving God is joyfully living out our identity as blessed, chosen children of God. And people are going to think it's extremely odd when we tell them that we are blessed when we live a countercultural life because God is in fact our delight, our strength and our comfort. But as we do this, once again, they will see a glimpse of Jesus and the secure hope we have in him alone. Brothers and sisters, at the beginning of our sermon, I encourage you to consider if as Christians we are being called to be the normal ones that fit in or the old ones that stand out. And I think Peter is certainly calling us as Christians, yes, to be the odd ones, but also to embrace standing out as a Christian for all the right reasons. Our mission statement as a church declares that we are people striving to love God, love the community and love the church. And we can do this as we stand out because we are unashamedly blessed by God. We, our mission statement declares that we're a people striving to love our community. And we can do this as we stand out because we bless our enemies. And our mission statement declares that we are a people striving to love the church. And we can do this in a way that stands out. Because we uniquely bless one another. This mission is printed on our foyer wall. And as we, Riverbank Christian Church, strive to achieve it together, may people be drawn to how unique and odd we are. Because they are receiving a glimpse of Jesus. And as a result, may they come to glorify God with us. On the day he visits. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you're a God who cares for us, a God who has blessed us, a God who has shown us tremendous grace, gentleness, and love. We thank you so much for the picture of the cross and a risen Saviour who declares that we are no longer guilty, but we have been redeemed. Lord, this truth transforms our lives. And I pray, Lord, that we are encouraging one another. We are spurring one another on. We are blessing one another as we live together as a community of believers. And Lord, I pray, give us strength and boldness. 
a gentleness to also love our enemies. Lord, those who we may find difficult to be around. Lord, help us to respond to evil with a blessing, to give them a glimpse of Jesus. Because, Lord, you have restored us and we know the blessing that comes from living out our identity in you. You are a tremendous God, a God who has gone before us through Jesus and given us a great example of how to do this. Lord, we need help in this, and so we ask for your Holy Spirit's guidance in every step of the way. And Lord, we pray that we, as we strive, we will strive to be a church who loves you, who loves our community and loves the church for the glory of God alone. We pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen.